You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Amen. Thank you for that, Miss Colleen. I love that hymn, Lead Me to Calvary. Well, turn to Luke chapter 11 in your Bibles and also Matthew chapter 6 tonight. Luke 11 and Matthew chapter 6. And uh, as you turn there, uh, we'll go ahead and stand out of respect of the Scripture. Luke 11 and Matthew 6. Luke 11 and Matthew chapter 6. We'll start in Luke 11 and uh, then we'll, we'll actually get over into Matthew 6 uh, here in just a moment. For now we'll read Luke 11. This is the text that we've been in for a number of weeks um, in our series on prayer. And we're winding it down. And I'm not sure uh, if we'll do another one or two after this. Just trying to, have, trying to decide that uh, at this point. But... Uh, I'm, I'm thankful for the series and what it's done in my own heart uh, on prayer because we can't hear enough about prayer. And uh, I, I'm just trying to seek some direction about what to do next. Next week, we look forward to having Brother Dave Leidick. He'll be preaching in our service next week. Um, he's got a couple of grandsons. He's not here to see Heath, don't worry. Um, he's got a couple of grandsons that are getting baptized next week. And so Brother Leidick will be coming up. Now, now Brother Heath's offended. I think Brother Heath just left the property, actually, based on that comment. Uh, yeah. So, uh, but his, uh, his grandsons, Chase and White, are getting baptized. We're grateful uh, for that. And so they'll be coming up. Uh, you know, grandparents are. They couldn't miss that. And uh, also, though, next Wednesday, same time, kind of got a, a, a double whammy going on. We've got Brother Mike Petrucco, who is uh, with Lighthouse Baptist Prance, Press. Prance. I don't know where that came from. And uh, he'll be with us as well, and he'll be presenting next Wednesday. I think it's been a while since he presented here. We've supported them for uh, a while, and I'm grateful uh, for the involvement in that ministry. So he'll be here as well. We'll be full of preachers next Wednesday night. So don't miss it. It'll be a good service uh, next Wednesday. Luke 11, we'll read the first four verses. It says, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. And we'll get into the preaching at this time. We may have some more to go in the prayer series. I'm not sure. What I do know, though, is that we've almost run, we've run out of things to say out of, in Luke 11. If you'll notice, you know, by, in Luke 11, we get down to the end of it. We've already covered um, all of the phrases, all of the elements there in this chapter. And... And we focused on each element every week. I'm not saying that we've done, it's been exhaustive by any means, but we've gone through every part of it. And, 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 and this clear 
and direct instruction from Jesus Christ on prayer has been helpful. And whether or not uh, the, the commentary that the preacher has provided has been helpful, the fact that Jesus Christ himself gives us clear instruction, that should be all that we need to take note of, of what we should do when we pray. You know, we can't dismiss the importance of prayer in the Christian life. We just can't. As I preached a couple Sunday mornings ago, uh, I believe that no exercise more clearly encapsulates the Christian life than prayer. Because our connection to God, our connection to God is not religion. It's a relationship. Our connection to God is not form. It's fellowship. And if you think about a relationship, think about the important pieces of a relationship. The important piece, the main piece, the, the, the foundational piece of a relationship, in my mind, is communication. You don't have a relationship if you don't regularly interact with somebody. And in the same way that communication is the essence of a relationship, prayer is the essence of a personal relationship with God because prayer is communication with God. Prayer is talking to God. It's communication, but on a spiritual level. Prayer is the natural outflow of our relationship with God. It's the most essential function of our faith, if our Christian lives are about relationship and relationships are about communication, then I ask you tonight, what more important, what more critical spiritual exercise should we pursue to strengthen our walk with God than prayer? I mean, if we don't have a prayer life, you could say that we don't have a relationship with God. And you say, well, I read my Bible and I read it regularly and I, I read lots of it and great, you should. So God talks to you, that's great. But if you don't pray, it means that you don't communicate back to God. So you're the friend who doesn't return a call after someone leaves a voicemail. That's you. That was supposed to be a joke, a little bit. You're the one who doesn't text back, even if they've texted you a few times. So don't be that guy. Don't be the one who someone communicates with you and someone writes to you and someone, someone gives you communication but you never respond. Don't be that person. Without communication, you can't reasonably claim that you walk with God. We must commune with our Father. We have to. We, we need both instruction and not just instruction, but we need, we need motivation to pray more and pray more effectively. And listen, I hope that you'll take the elements of the model prayer and apply them to your own life with God. See, tonight we'll look at one more element from his instructions on prayer. And you say, but there are no more instructions in Luke 11. And that's true. But this isn't the only place that recorded Jesus Christ teaching prayer to the disciples. So let's look over at Matthew chapter 6. You should hopefully already be there. Matthew chapter 6. This is this, this, same, uh, this same text, the same instruction on prayer and teaching prayer, only it's worded a little different. Look at Matthew chapter 6, it says in verse 9, After this manner therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's where Luke 11 finished off. But look what 
this, this account includes. It says, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, the wording is a little different here than over in Luke's account, but the ideas are the same. And there's no conflict here. It's just that Matthew and Luke record the instructive prayer from their own perspectives and in their own words. And that happens a lot in the Gospels. Uh, but there is one major difference between the two. Again, it's not a contradiction. It's just that Matthew includes something that Luke does not. It's found in verse 13 when he says, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You know, it's amazing how many authors don't mention that part in their commentaries. In my understanding, many of them skip the phrase because there's a lot of debate about whether the phrase belongs or should be included because, and you'll hear this a lot if you, if you read much from other commenta- commentators, there's a, there's a debate that goes on that says, well, we're not sure that it should be included because it's not in some of the oldest Greek manuscripts. So they say, well, it was added later or it shouldn't be here, so we ignore it. And to that, we would say, well, if it's included in the King James Version, we trust it. Amen. Thank you. I knew I'd get an amen sometime tonight. You know, we have the trustworthy, preserved, inerrant Word of God in our hands. Don't let liberal scholarship convince you that your Bible is full of holes. Don't let them tell you that it's full of mistakes. Um, The devil has been attacking God's Word since the very beginning. And we believe in God's promise to preserve His Word, and others who believe it should be incl- that it should be included. There are other commentators who say, well, we, we think it, it should be included, but they'll skip it altogether. So I'm not sure how that's any better. There's not much out there that talks about it. They think it's more of an afterthought, almost as if it's a throwaway that isn't important to the overall instruction on prayer from Christ here. But tonight, I actually want to look at the phrase that's been tossed out. I want to look at the, ta- the phrase that a lot of people have said, well, you know, it's just a throwaway, it's just an afterthought, and, you know, and that causes me to think, well, every jot or tittle, right? I mean, if every word matters and every word is important, and, and not just the phrases, but every word, then Christ obviously included this here for our benefit in our instruction. So I don't think we should skip it. So I want to look at this phrase and, and explain why it, I think it's very helpful to follow the Lord's instruction even down to this phrase. A couple of months ago, I preached in this series about a helpful acronym in prayer called ACTS. A-C-T-S. And, and you may or may not remember, but I thought it was a good acronym in helping remember a, a model how to pray. It's adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. ACTS. And you know, when you're praying, I don't know if you're, if you're like this, but sometimes when I kneel down to pray, especially if it's early in the morning, uh, if I don't have direction, I mean, I'm thinking about all kinds of crazy things. My mind is tired. I'm not, I don't have much focus. But I'm telling you, having a model, a template to place over your prayer life can be a help to you. So think about, think about acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And I, I like that, the, that somebody did this. The first letter, adoration, You know, when you read the book of Psalms, it's hard not to notice that much of it is built on the idea of just praising God, just praising him, just lifting up praise. The Hebrew word for praise is to throw out or to cast. And the idea there 
is that you don't really think about it. It's just he's worthy of it, so you're just going to throw praise out to him. You're going to lift up in praise. You're going to not hold anything back. It's like rearing back to throw something. You're going to throw it as hard as you can, as far as you can. And that's praise. We're to give our, we're just to throw out praise to God. We're to throw out thanksgiving and confession of who he is. Adoration is simply stopping to appreciate and admire God, which I think in our busy culture, in our busy world, we don't do nearly enough. We don't nearly enough stop and just adore God for who he is. And I used the illustration a few months ago about walking through an art gallery, which I don't do very much. I'll just be honest with you. I probably should appreciate art more than I do. Um, But there have been times where I walk through a gallery or I see a painting and it just strikes me. It just kind of catches my attention. And I just stop and I look at it and I try to take it in. And, and I just try to soak in all the details. Have you ever done that before? I don't know if I should be admitting this now that I have a beard. But to just stop. <laughs> Again, another joke. It's okay. You can laugh. Or you might, you might just save all the laughter up for the end. That's fine too. Just save it up. But you know, you just stop and look at a painting that strikes you. And you can't really put your finger on why it captures your attention. You can't really explain to somebody why you appreciate it. You just do. You just stop and take it in. That is praise. It's not any benefit to me. I'm not, I'm not really asking for anything. I'm just stopped and I'm admiring and I'm adoring Jesus Christ for who he is. And we need to do that more often. But instead, we're so busy because we have things to do and we've got thing, the next thing to go to that our prayer list really starts and stops with what we're asking for. But according to to Matthew 6 and Luke 11, we should just stop and praise God. Just stop and admire Him for a while. At the beginning of your prayer, adore Him. The second letter is C for confession. We talked about this extensively for three Wednesday nights. If we have sin, our relationship with God is broken. We need to exercise our right as a child of God in 1 John 1, 9. But if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It is a privilege, it is a right, and if we don't make good use of confession, then our relationship with God is broken, and we're the only ones that can take steps to fix it. He hasn't moved, we have. Make that a regular part of your prayer, and not just confession to God for your sins, but asking God for you to forgive others, because God forgives us like we forgive other people. Confess, the third letter, thanksgiving, T for thanksgiving. Philippians 4 says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. See, most people miss that phrase, with thanksgiving. We're so quick to ask for things. We're like the kid at Christmas asking and writing out our our list of all the things that we want, that we fail to say thank you to the Father for the blessings that he's already given us. Thanksgiving ought to be a regular part of our prayer lives. Have you ever noticed it's a lot easier to teach our kids how to say please than it is to say thank you? Because they know at the other end of please, they get something. But, if, but with a thank you, they've already gotten it and they're good to go. Well, we're the same way. We're so much better at asking than thanking. But asking comes with the fourth letter, A-C-T-S, 
supplication. And this part of the petition is the request. This is, this is when we express our need or the needs of others and ask the Father to provide. And as important as this part is, we need to be careful not to pray backwards. We often will start with supplication. We start with the S and then we fail to spend time on adoration and confession and thanksgiving. We are so naturally self-focused and we can even make our prayer lives about ourselves. But listen, it's, and, and it's not wrong to bring our needs to God and ask him. He tells us to, but be sure that we don't turn something as important as praying into an exercise of, uh, exercise of self-focus. We can turn anything into self-focus, can't we? You know anybody who in every conversation, I don't want to point fingers tonight, you know anybody that in every conversation you have with them, they spend the entire time talking about themselves? You know, and everyone's like, yeah, I know somebody like that. Well, the people that say, oh, I know somebody like that, there are those of them that they are the ones like that, and they don't know it. So just as a side note, be mindful in every conversation that you have that it doesn't always come back to you. It's good to ask questions. It's good to listen. Listening is a lost art in our culture. Nobody likes to just listen. Have you ever talked to somebody that in every conversation, um, either that every conversation turns back to them and they're talking about themselves, or every conversation, anytime you're talking, you see the wheels turning and spinning. They're just waiting for you to get done so they can say their next thing, okay? Hey, we're all, we can all be like that. Okay, it's not all just pointing fingers, but listen, it's as, as annoying as that might be in a regular conversation, when you think about how we do that to God sometimes, when it's all about us, and we can turn something that as we heard at the beginning, that is the essential exercise of the child of God and his relationship with God, and yet we can make it about us. We start with the requests, we end with our, our petitions, we end with our requests. And that's why I believe that this closing part in Matthew 6 should not be overlooked. Because in the end, this part, the, thine is the kingdom and power and glory, refocuses our attention back to where it should be. The model prayer opens with a clear Godward focus. Hallowed be thy name. We pray that God, that your name is holied, that your name is reverenced as it should be, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. God, that your kingdom purposes, your desires for the redemptive kingdom, that those purposes would be advanced and I would get to have a part in it. Thy will be done. God, whatever your desire is, I will submit to it like people will in heaven. I'll gladly submit and say whatever it is that you want, God. If you'll notice, the beginning of the model prayer is all about God. It's all God word. And then Jesus gives instruction with the focus on God, and then shifts it to our needs. Give, give us this day our daily bread. God, I have nothing to give. I have nothing to supply in this. It's all on you, and I'm begging you. I'm dependent on you for your provision. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. God, I know that I have broken our relationship. Please forgive me, and lead us, lead us not into temptation. Father, protect me, guard me from evil and the evil one. So if you think about it, in many ways, the middle or the end of the model prayer shifts its focus at the beginning, which is God word. In some ways, it shifts it to us. And it's not wrong because this is Jesus' instruction. 
It can't be wrong. We have needs. We have to trust God's provision to meet our needs. We don't have answers, but I find it interesting that the Lord does not end the prayer in Matthew 6 making it about the person praying. He comes back full circle and he tells us to close our prayer by turning our attention back to the Father. Specifically, it reminds us of three things that belong to God. Three things that belong to God, and he starts with, thine is the kingdom. Now, we've looked, in thine, yours is the kingdom, thine is the kingdom, it belongs to God. And we've looked at the kingdom of God already in this series, and God's sovereign rule and reign can be understood in two ways. He has a universal kingdom, and he has a redemptive kingdom. Now, the universal kingdom is that God has dominion over all creatures and all things, and he does. He rules and reigns over this universe. The end of discussion. First Chronicles 29, 11 is a great verse. It says, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty, for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Friend, listen, God reigns over everything. He's the ruler of all. The other kingdom is the redemptive kingdom. And this is the kingdom that has to do with God's redemptive purposes. This is the kingdom that Jesus, in John chapter 3, when, when Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again or redeemed to enter into this kingdom. So we know that, it's, that there's a difference. It's not the physical kingdom the universal kingdom over which God reigns. This is the redemptive kingdom. And in order to enter into this kingdom, you must be saved or redeemed to become part of that kingdom. And we are to pray that more people are saved. We are to pray that the redemptive kingdom is advanced. We should pray and we should be involved in God's redemptive kingdom purposes. That's what I was talking about earlier. When I would say take some tracks and don't neglect our responsibility to further God's kingdom. We have a responsibility as his people to be involved in his kingdom work. Thy kingdom come, that part of the prayer, has a lot to do with us saying, I will work so that your kingdom will advance. We should. But that's not the kingdom that is referred to at the end of the prayer here. When Christ says, thine is the kingdom, he's talking back about the universal kingdom. See, God is the sovereign ruler over all creatures, over all things, and we don't have to pray for that because it's true. It's already happening. Nothing changes his rule and reign. And it reminds me a little bit of uh, the country that we live in. We live in a republic. That means the governmental authority stems from the consent of the people, the consent of the governed. This is a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. We could probably... I'll quote that, but that, and it works well on earth because it's never worked very well to give a sinful man or sinful men free reign with no checks or balances because men are wicked. Men are sinful. If a man is not held in check, he will usually uh, do things that are self-interested. He will usually enjoy the power too much or enjoy the money too much or, en- or en- enjoy the authority too much and before long it's all out of whack. It, so the checks and balances work well on earth. They're necessary because men, and, men are evil but that is definitely not true with God. God does not need checks and balances. We are not in a republic with God. He, uh, God is sovereign ruler without checks, without balances because he's holy and sinless 
and he only does that which is right and best. Not just for himself, but for his citizens. See, God is the ruler. He's the sovereign king of both the physical and spiritual kingdoms. His government is not of the people or by the people or for the people. The creator does not rule by consent of the governed. He subjects, his subjects submit to his sovereignty. End of discussion. As R.C. Sproul said so eloquently, his reign extends over me whether I vote for him or not. And all of this stuff with these people that are saying, not my president. This, first of all, my first point about that is give me a break. Second point, because we've all been there. We've had people that didn't feel like our president too. But second, I don't agree with many things that our president now does or says at times, frankly, but I do have a biblical responsibility to respect the office and pray for him, so I do. And by the way, even if I don't agree with everything that he does or says, I'm thankful that as a president, the religious freedom in our country has never been better. I mean, he has done a lot to advance religious freedom, and I'm thankful for that. Third, you might, not, you might be able to get away with saying, not my president here in America, and you might protest and have issues with that, but there's not a chance that any of us could wield enough power or enough uh, f- free will to step out from underneath the reign of our king in heaven. Someone could say, he's not my king, but that doesn't change the fact that he is. And if you step out from under his reign, uh, there are laws in place of sin that, that bear great consequences. You cannot say, you could say, not my president, if you choose to, but you could never say, not my king, because he rules and reigns over every creature and everything. What Christ is saying here is remember who he is when you pray. Remember who he is when you pray. See, this is a good check and balance if we've already been talking about it. It's a good check and balance for us when we get to be so consumed with our prayers and we're so consumed and we're so distraught and we have so many needs and we ask and we ask and ask. But if we apply this template over our prayer life and when we're done asking, we say, but God, wait, thine is the kingdom. It's a good reminder that it's not all about me. There's one that is at the center of the universe, and that is my king. And it's good for me to be reminded of who he is when I pray. The second thing that belongs to God in this model prayer is Christ says to pray, thine is the power. When we pray, we should acknowledge that all power belongs to God. All power belongs to God See, one label that applies to God is omnipotent. It means all-powerful. And the Greek word from which we get the word power is the, in this verse is dunamis. It's the same word from which we get the English word dynamite. And I love that as a word to describe God's power. It means, it means so strong that it can't be resisted. So strong that it cannot be resisted. I love the use of this word here. See, God possesses all power in heaven and in earth. He has power to create from the very beginning. He has the power to work miracles. He has the power to to stop the laws of nature and readjust however he wants. He has the power to save a sinner. He had the power to enable his children to live like his son. 
He, has the, he had the power to raise his son from the dead. You talk about having all power. It's good for us to remember when we pray that God has all power because in recognizing that, we acknowledge if he has all of it, I don't have any of it. If he has all power, there's no room for me to have any. If I tell my wife, you have all my money. No response. Okay, if I tell my wife, you have all my money. You know how much that leaves for me? None. We have some math majors in here tonight. If she has all my money, I have none. If God has all power, if God is omnipotent, he has all power that there is in the universe, then how much does that mean that you and I have? We have zero. The difference between us and God is, it's incredible. I read these verses this week, and I just want you to listen to them. Ephesians 1, 19 through 21. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power? which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at, the, at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Now, I can't even wrap my mind around it, but as I started looking at the words there in Ephesians 1, and what is the exceeding? That word exceeding is, the, the picture is an archer that overshoots his target. In other words, you think that, that you're going to hit it, but you go way over. That's the idea of God's exceeding power or greatness. The word greatness means immeasurable. And his word, the word power, again, is so strong it can't be resisted. So what Paul was writing there is that there's a power that's so much farther and so much greater than we can understand. It's immeasurable. It's far above principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is, that is to be named. Listen, God's power isn't just better than. Verse 21 in Ephesians 1 states that it's far above. It's far above. So it's not just a little more. It's far above. And Paul uses that to compare God's power to, he says, principality and power and might and dominion. You know what he's talking about there? When he talks about principalities and powers, usually in the New Testament, you know what he's talking about? He's talking about satanic forces. He's talking about satanic influences. And, God's, and so if I was to label uh, power, uh, the powers, maybe the, the, that which uh, owns power or has power, I would say, well, God's number one for sure. But when I think about power, I do think Satan probably has a lot of power. There's probably some might there. There's probably some strength there. But even when compared to the principalities and powers, those satanic forces, Paul in his explanation there says, no, it's far above. Even that which you think might be pretty strong, Satan. Now, there's not even a comparison between God and Satan. That's how strong God is. That's how powerful God is. It's far above. Man, when you pray, remember that. Remember that. See, because compared to God, we have no power at all. But when I pray, it's good for me to be reminded, without his help, I can't do anything. I can't be the right dad. I can't be the right husband. 
I cannot be the right pastor to Eastside Baptist Church if I don't have some, somebody helping, if I don't have some sort of power, it, it, then I cannot be what I'm supposed to be, and you can't be what you're supposed to be in your own power. You can't. But what we have promised in this passage is our Father saying that same far above power that I possess, that which I raise my son from the dead with, and that which I cause Satan and his forces to submit to, when you pray in humility, I make that power available to you. Wow. He tells us in Matthew 7, Luke 11, And ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. He makes that power that's so far above any other power, it's exceeding like the archer overshooting. It's exceeding great and immeasurable and vast. That's the power that God has. And when we pray, that's the power that's available to us when we pray. Wow. So remember that. Thine is the kingdom, thine is the power, and thine is the glory. The third element that is God's alone is glory. And this is a reminder that everything, including our lives, should point to God. Everything I think, everything I feel, everything I say, every single thing that I do should all point to God every time. Paul wrote in Romans 11, uh, For of him and through him unto and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. John the Baptist said in John 3.30, He must increase, but I must decrease. That should be our prayer. We have nothing to glory in. But God is glorious beyond what we can understand. He's glorious not just beyond what I can understand or comprehend. He's glorious beyond what I can even express. No one, no one and nothing can share in God's glory. And yet, look around in our culture. You look around in our culture and you start to realize that 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 same sin in the Garden of Eden, when mankind tried to be lifted up into the same position as God, to be on an equal standing, equal footing with God, it's still happening in our culture. See, the idolatry of our culture, it may not be a wooden idol or an idol made of stone or something set up that people bow down to, but I believe, I believe in our culture that the, the major, major idolatry in our culture is the individual. You think about it. The individual rights are higher than that of an institution. Individual rights and individual feelings are higher than that than even than, than, than institutions or organizations. Everyone is bowing and catering now to what? To the individual. We live in a culture... In the, that the, in, in this culture, the idol is the individual. You make your own rules, establish your own right and wrong. Don't allow anyone else to rule you. And if someone infringes on all of these natural-born rights that you have, you take them to task and you make a big deal about it. No one can treat you like that. And listen, it's a lie as old as the devil because Satan in heaven attempted to share some of the glory that only belongs to God and look what it cost him. God is the only one worthy of glory. When we pray, remember, it's all about 
God. Rather than making our prayer all about us, it's good for us to say, thine is the kingdom, thine is the power, and God, thine is the glory. It's about you. We pray requests that are self-motivated rather than driven by God's glory, and it puts us in the wrong mindset. It's the sin as old as the devil. Oldest sin there is to try to place onto us the glory that only God deserves. We should strive to make a difference. We should do all we can to make our lives count for God, but never with the motivation or end to receive credit for it. All glory belongs to God. Do it for him alone. Pray for his purposes. Pray for his glory. 1 Corinthians 10, whether you, therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. If you want to pray from a biblical perspective, remember those three things that only God possesses. He is sovereignty, his power, and his glory. And make sure in your daily life that you aren't attempting to operate by infringing on those things that only he possesses. What do you mean by that? Well, uh, thine is the kingdom. That means that, friend, he's your king. Why would we sit on the throne of our lives when the creator and ruler of this universe offers to take the reins for us? Do we honestly think that our lives are better off if we're the ones calling the shots? It's the height of arrogance, isn't it? Thine is the kingdom. Thine is the power. He has all power. So why? I'm just going to close with these questions. Why would we attempt to live in our own strength when our Father's eternal and limitless, immeasurable, vast and far above great power is at our disposal? There is not one problem in this life that you or I could handle in our own strength better than God can. Thine is the kingdom, thine is the power, and thine is the glory. He deserves all glory. So why would we make life all about us when we, listen, when we actually would have nothing of value if God in his grace had never intervened in our lives? Only he deserves the glory. So every day as we pray, ascribe or recognize God's kingdom his power, and his glory. We need this in our lives, in our prayer lives, because without it, we tend to forget who truly possesses it all. And then we find ourselves attempting to reign and rely on and take credit in ways that are not ours. So as we pray, and as the Godward focus shifts from hallowed, be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done to give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. As we shift over into those that are more petition, then stop and turn around and close the prayer with, but thine is the kingdom, and thine is the power, and thine, God, is the glory. And don't end your prayer with a self-focused attitude. Turn it back to God because he deserves the attention anyway. We're going to close in prayer and then have our prayer time tonight. We do things a little different on Wednesday night. We don't have an actual invitation. But as we pray for our prayer list that maybe you got on your way in, 
then I'd say make this an opportunity, take this opportunity, if God's dealt with you about this truth, take this opportunity to deal with God and come and make a decision. The prayer time can be used both for the prayer list and then as a wrap-up to the message tonight. I'm going to pray, and then we'll have some music, and you have an opportunity to pray. Heavenly Father. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.